Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, where we talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. We give you the inside scoop on building a startup, capital fundraising, the entrepreneurial journey, with both funny and impactful stories. This podcast is for budding entrepreneurs, ecosystem players, industry folks, venture capitalists looking for deals, students considering a career in the startup world, or anyone with a curiosity in Deepak. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tenemlaunch.com, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Launch. I'm your host, Bobby Bedochka, and joining me today is co-host, founder, and tech enthusiast, Sean Maloney. Welcome, my friend. Thanks, Bobby. Now, I am very excited to introduce the DPIX team uh, to our audience. Uh, Just a note, the co-founder, Mathieu Saint-Denis, cannot join us today. I guess somebody's got to stay home and steer the ship while everybody is here having fun on the podcast. And so uh, today we have Technical Marvels co-founders, Dwayne Ilahi and Mathieu Guerrand, and industry darling, CEO, Philip One. So welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Dwayne, before we get too deep into DPICs, you have a really cool background. Uh, share with our audience some of the projects that you've previously worked on, and don't be shy to drop names. Oh, okay. well, my background, I used to work in Hollywood films. Uh, so some projects I worked on, I worked on uh, James Cameron av- Avatar, as well as um, Hunger Games and uh, The Predators, and also like some feature animations such as Cloudy with a chance of meatball too. Wow, that's about meatball too. That's a throwback. Um, great. So then, uh, Dr. Mathieu Guerrand, our latest addition to the DPIX team, the technical brains straight from the lab. Tell us a bit about your technical research focus and um, how did that transverse into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so first, uh, I'm still not technically doctor, so I'm packing up my work into a thesis. <laughs> so hopefully, I should be shortly. Dr. Ish. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, at the end of my bachelor, I was really interested in computer vision and um, started to develop a lot of interest for machine learning. So uh, my current supervisor introduced me to augmented reality, which is mainly the idea of inserting virtual content uh, in our 3D world. So at the time, I saw all the challenges that such technology would bring and knew that I wanted to work seriously on this and that would require to push through a graduate school. And uh, here I, I am with uh, like a PhD later. And uh, my research was largely connected with the industry during uh, my old master and PhD. So this made me realize that it was possible to quickly move uh, cutting edge research into products. So uh, just to enumerate like some past projects, um, so I did work on 3D object tracking, where we had like fun project with a video game company in Quebec called Freema Studio. And in one of our publications, we had this nice demo where we could make a, a toy dragon spit virtual fire uh, looking through a phone. So then uh, I moved to uh, work with Adobe on problems such as understanding the illumination in a scene from normal cameras. So the idea was to uh, estimate in real time how the scene is illuminated with deep learning so that we could insert virtual object in real time. Uh, for example, inserting realistically uh, furniture or 
any object that you could think of. And um, finally, uh, I did work on problem of tracking our upper body with Oculus Quest headset uh, during an internship with Facebook Reality Lab. So the idea here was to use the Quest headset to track uh, ourselves so that uh, your avatar in VR could move the same as you. So this will be very useful for doing virtual meeting like we are doing right now. So yeah, so I, as I was saying, uh, moving from company to company, implementing and training deeper neural network, uh, I was thinking that I would be, it would be much more beneficial to do it uh, on a project that I really care about. And here I am at DeepX. Now we have Philip. Philip Lunn. Um, Bobby so kindly introduced you as an industry darling, but I don't think that's your official title, DeepX. I think you're also the new CEO of the company. So uh, I've also heard that DeepX is pretty happy to have you and fortunate to have you on board. So maybe you can give us a little bit of the lowdown about uh, DeepX, you know, why you think the company is so cool and how is this product revolutionary? Great. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. So, so over the past 20 years or so, I've been uh, fortunate to be able to start and exit from three uh, companies, all in the area of computer graphics. The first was uh, real-time computer graphics that was acquired by Dassault System uh, in 2013. And then an augmented reality company, which was acquired by a company called Yulsey in 2017. And most recently, a virtual reality company acquired by Sony Pictures in 2019. And over the past year, I took some time to uh, dive into machine learning, artificial intelligence to get a full understanding of uh, these new technologies and found they're pretty amazing and obviously very powerful. We hear a lot about it today. But I wanted to figure out a way to apply them in the area where I have the most expertise, which is in computer graphics. And so one day I was sitting at my computer and uh, I got an email from uh, DeepX co-founder, Mathieu Saint-Denis, and he reached out to me on LinkedIn and explained they were seeking a CEO and it seemed like the perfect fit. And so uh, now after being involved for a couple of months, I've confirmed it is the perfect fit. So I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, in regards to the, to the product, uh, recently there's been uh, lots of new suites of web-based imaging tools that have emerged to take advantage of artificial intelligence and machine learning, which is, which is, which is particularly good at enhancing and modifying instance uh, images. For instance, uh, AI and ML is being used for image filters, uh, de-blurring, denoising, increasing the size of an image, maybe taking it from HD up to 8K, and uh, maybe to replace a sky or, as most people know it, uh, filters to stylize images. And the most popular of these AI enhancement tools is for background removal. Um, background removal has traditionally been a very, very painful process requiring a ton of patience and skill in Photoshop. But with AI and ML, background removal has been made far easier. And uh, there's at least uh, a dozen web-based applications online that perform this function. And uh, monthly usage numbers are in the millions on these sites. So, but the thing is, when you have this element extracted from the image and you want to paste it into a new image, uh, when you do this, it looks like a sticker. Now, there's a whole bunch of apps you can download that are called sticker apps and kids use them for decorating their pictures with stickers. But if you're trying to do something of value or anything professional, a sticker is not good enough. It just it doesn't have a shadow. It doesn't have the right lighting. And it just doesn't fit into the new image. And that's where our technology comes in. Uh, and we, we've sort of coined it Magic Paste, um, which is a super cool technology I'll talk about a little bit. Uh, we've assembled a team of the world's leading computer graphics scientists uh, and engineers from uh, you know, the world-renowned graphics departments of the University of Laval and the University of Illinois. 
Uh, we've licensed some patented technology that's become the foundation of our software. And then we have three additional patents of our own in process that enable our software to extract the lighting from the target image where you're trying to put this quote sticker, apply the lighting and add an accurate shadow to the cut object to quote magic paste it into the, uh, the element into the image so it just looks real. This whole process takes just a few seconds and the result is really spectacular. And what this means is we've dramatically cut the cost to create in-context imagery uh, at, for e-commerce marketing. E-commerce, as you all know from the pandemic, we've been sitting at home shopping on Amazon or, or, or other e-commerce websites, the volume of e-commerce has, has increased dramatically and it's not going away anytime soon. So we're, we're, we can help businesses meet this new increasing requirement for new content every day, which is super exciting. So this is exciting. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't have a 3D computer graphics background, um, but I'm thinking about DPIX, you know, in comparison to software like Adobe or Ikea showrooms. And maybe I'm way, way off in left field on this comparison, but, uh, and, and just trying to think about what you were talking about, helping people with e-commerce sites. Um, how does someone with an online store, you know, relate to DPIX, the, the product in a, an everyday way and how can it help them? That's a good question. Uh, well, everyone who runs an online store uh, knows that the quality and quantity of images online drives increased sales, but they are ex very expensive and time-consuming to produce. So our technology uh, enables a retail marketer to produce products that might product photos. To, I'm sorry, to use product photos on a white that are taken on a white background in a lifestyle shot with ease. So a single product photo that may be just taken, you know, with a white cardboard surround. You shoot, put it on the table, shoot your product extract that using one of these background removal tools and then you can place that in an in-context image and make many many different pictures from the single image that was easy to take at a much lower cost so and as we continue to develop the, the software the consumer will be able to grab a photo on white from a website selling sofas for instance and magic paste it into a photo of their living room as and it will look real Wow, that sounds incredible. Like it really, really, um, I think that's going to help a lot of people who don't, you know, have the technical background, um, you know, still have that professional, that professional um, online store. I think this is really amazing. Um, so Dwayne, you've spent some time at Tandem Launch and I'm just wondering if you could t talk to your audience a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Um, sort of like what lessons have you learned along the way and, you know, what kind of advice or, um, you know, activities that you could maybe share the good, the bad, the ugly, something that people could learn from. Sure. Uh, yes, it was um, definitely a journey. Uh, basically, we started off with myself and uh, Matthew Saint-Denis, who's unfortunately not on the call at the moment. And we started um, basically with the way Tandem Launch works. Uh, we have different uh, people come in. They research uh, technology that is coming out from university that they can patent and get the IP from and see, you could actually see if uh, you can market this and bring it to market and see if there's any commercial value for it. So a person prior to us uh, started that and we joined the team, myself and, and uh, Mathieu. And then uh, that person left and went back to academia, didn't find that you know, once you move from research to, to the commercial side and business, it's very different and uh, felt, you know, academia is more, you know, teaching and that's where she would like to stay. So basically, we started out from a project that, well, I know the industry because of my background. I know I built a lot of uh, production pipelines. 
So I understood the process. And what we were trying to do was take the same processes that I developed over the years in different companies and in different productions from scratch uh, and create it into an AI agent to do all the steps, right? Which basically democratizes all the all the steps and makes it make it uh, accessible to the public where you don't necessarily have to be an expert CG artist in multiple disciplines to get a final result of this magic pace technology that we have right now. Now, that's not an easy task, especially starting from the technology. We had pretty much the, the, the paper to start off with. Uh, we did not have a work in implementation. And also the way all the pieces come together, that still had to be actually had, had to be implemented and, and basically mapped out. And we also had to acquire the right technology to make that chain work. So the first part, um, I guess the first, the beginning of this journey with Matthew and I is basically figuring out, okay, well, what is, what is a realistic timeline of how we could acquire the, the require, basically the required technology to build it, to, to put all these things together, actually make revenue for the company along the way while we build a team to advance our technology. Uh, so the first thing we needed to do was actually get our, our IP built. Um, so as you could imagine, this is, this is a cross-discipline venture and it's not easy basically to, to solve. Uh, it, it involves a lot of different disciplines. There's open you know, there's a computer vision that you have to deal with. There's there's machine learning, deep learning, and there's computer graphics and all they're kind of like niches of niche and to find people that understand each one and to be able to build it in a short amount of time was very difficult. So the first thing we did, we started going to conferences of people of our peers. So one of them was going to like SIGGRAPH Asia. Uh, so literally flew across the world 23 hours and, you know, went to every panel, went to see every single paper and to see anything that's related to our pipeline or technology went uh, see the presenters, uh, you know, book meetings with them, had lunch with them, talked about what we did and see if they're interested for it. And we did get uh, one who is now our chief scientist, uh, which is Greg Ward. He, at the time he was presenting, uh, you know, basically materials, which is one thing that we are definitely researching. So try to explain it in our context, how we want to use it. And uh, he was interested in it. So we invite him over to the office a few months later. Uh, same thing with uh, another part of piece of our technology from U Laval. Uh, we invited um, the professor and the team over as well. And at the time, sorry, that was U Illinois, sorry, at the time. And we were also investigating, we needed uh, lighting estimation as well, which is a very important part. And we didn't acquire that technology yet. We looked at a couple and uh, interacted at another conference uh, with uh, Professor uh, Jean-Francois. So we invited him as well. And uh, yeah, they all presented the technology and we explained what we were trying to do. And um, at the end of the, the meeting, when we brought all brought them into the, the office, we kind of came into agreement that, okay, this is, this is a plausible path. We could do it and a timeline, how we could perform it. And uh, we assigned tasks of how things will get done. So that was the beginning of it. But at the same time, we also had to try to develop the business. So we kind of had to make, you know, makeshift versions of our of our software, which is pretty much the, what an MVP is, at the same time trying to manage like contracts with, uh, with companies. And that was also brought another aspect of it where, okay, we have our technology, which, it, which at the moment could only do a certain amount of things. But then there's also the demands of the client, which we had to adjust and find ways and it might not be, you know, in, in a traditional sense when you actually go into a, a proper de de development cycle where you have like development, staging, production, you kind of had to ad hoc everything together, get something out the door, 
gather a whole bunch of technical debt and then try to figure out how to make it work. At the same time, trying to look for other people on the team to to take on specific tasks. So I'll at this at that as well. We also have to try to find a CEO uh, and also find uh, a chief, you know, the the lead of research. And so all this took a lot of months and a lot of meetings, a lot of back and forth, and uh, a lot of going to conferences and looking for people. And on paper, you also had a time limit because you also have uh, you know, a certain runway to, to accomplish all this. So on paper, it seems very unlikely <laughs> to succeed. But when you get it, everything comes together. And then all the pieces, it seems like all the pieces uh, just fall into place when, especially when I would say Matthew Garon and Phil joined the team, that was around the same time our, our MVP started to come, come more into form. And since then, it seems to start smoothing out a lot more, but it was a really rough ride along the way. So I would say my advice to people who are starting out, I would say that don't expect it to be easy. It's, it's a very long road. And in fact, on paper, you're, you're trying to do what seemingly is impossible in a very short amount of time. But it is possible if you're able to, uh, to stick to it and believe that you'd get it done. Yeah, there always seems to be like that that point in time where you have every ball in the air and everything needs to get done yesterday and there's just so much going on and it gets very muddy and they can't like, I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Is this thing gonna work? Where's my people? All of it. So I'm I'm gonna list a few um just sort of startup y lingo and if you could just tell me which one you think um or any other one um that was the most important so as far as like the importance of the team or the culture fit or that whole mentality of fail fast and pivot um product to market fit customer discovery business narrative so like all out of all of these sort of stages or things that need to you know will happen to you during an entrepreneurial journey which one do you think is the most critical and why well i think they're all very important um if you were to ask me i would basically see, uh, say, you know, the product to market fit is probably the most important because you could have a great team, you know, you could have everything going for you, but if nobody on the market wants it, then you're just spinning your wheels. And I think that was, it kind of links to the narrative um, because like I mentioned at the very beginning, it was just uh, Matthew Santini and I, and we saw the potential of it. Um, basically, you know, uh, at the very beginning, yeah, like, again, this is my field and and I know how much, you know, people go to school for this for years to learn each discipline, to make it, to work it, to do it perfectly. And we're basically using AI to, to automate all these things, right? So the potential was definitely there. So we knew there was something there. Um, so we were able to, to construct the narrative that we know, well, if we're able to pull this off, this, this is what we'll be able to do. So the narrative was there, right? Um, and that alone was able, we were able to, to go out to conferences uh, or, or conventions and whatnot and get people excited and willing to get follow-up. Now, the thing is, we just had to make sure our software was at a, at a usable stage by time they followed up. But the narrative was very important, which is very linked, directly linked to the product market fit, right? If it wasn't, if a narrative could be compelling, but if nobody wants it, then nobody's going to come back and follow up with you. So if I had to choose one, I would say that. So now I have a question for Matt's here. And as you know, Tandem Launch is always looking for technical entrepreneurs, you know, much like yourself. So for everybody who's listening, especially people who might be studying or, you know, researching during their degrees, what advice might you share for those who are, you know, interested in considering a startup or in just curious about deep tech ventures in general? 
So that's a good question because I was asking myself the same question not long ago. So yeah, so as an academic, uh, at least for me, like I was always uh, interested in going in an entrepreneur venture, but the, the main difficulty for me was to, that was mainly that I was scared. So, and this, the reason was that uh, it was difficult to me to surround myself with the right people. So as a student, you might not be directly in contact with people that have backgrounds in business or, or uh anything related to startup, you tend to uh, to be like with other engineers, other researchers, and we're all doing research. We're not like going on the business side. So this is really scary. And on this side, like for sure, like Tandem Launch was definitely a lifesaver to surround me with the right people. So uh, either my coworker, Dwayne, Philip, and Mathieu, uh, and also uh, the Tandem Launch core team, which is there to uh, to kind of boost us uh, to uh, to gain some experience or to at least mentor us. So that would be my the, the main thing. Don't be scared. Uh, like you'll find the people uh, this way. Yeah. So I think that kind of speaks to what I was going to ask you next was about how do we you know encourage more PhDs in these technical fields to step in towards starting up their own venture. So do you really think that those are the key points that you say they don't be scared and and surrounding yourself with people you know the business people is that is that would that be i guess the keys for that well as uh of course as someone that is interested in uh in taking this path so for sure like it always depends on the personality of uh, of each person so for example uh i was uh, curious about uh doing a kind of more research uh carry path where you just do uh, like you really focus on your problem. Uh, some people really like this. Others will really like to uh, build project with the uh, with the team and then like go on the entrepreneur's step. So I feel like if if it's already uh, like in, in there, like the thing is just uh, not to be scared in the sense that uh, if someone wants to be an entrepreneur, uh, they usually uh, they, they usually want to take this path. The only thing stopping them, I think, would be to be scared to take the uh, to take that that hard step uh, until unless going to the easy one, which would be for for me uh, as an example, uh, purely research. So, no, that's a great answer, and I think that um, maybe even just people, you know, hearing this podcast with with you and, and the team, and you know, seeing what might even be possible, I think that might uh, might be one step to encourage them as well. So. Um, my next question, I thought I would open it up to to the group of gentlemen here, and uh, so anybody can step in and answer this. But I'm just curious if you can talk about the you know the industry trend over the last maybe five years or so, and then where do you see things going from here? Um, I, I I could probably answer that one. Um, there's some obvious trends uh, driving the imaging business. I mean, in, for instance, in 2021, there'll be an estimated 1.4 trillion photos taken globally. Everyone's got a phone, everyone takes lots of photos, and uh, the camera um, on, the, on the mobile device is getting higher and higher quality with every re- release, uh, approaching and sometimes even exceeding an SLR now, which is pretty awesome. And so the mobile phones change photography forever. And then there's the pandemic, which we've all been going through over the last 10 months, and uh, that's driven more and more business online in a transition that's unlikely to reverse to previous levels when the pandemic's over. So this has accelerated the shift to, uh, to e-commerce uh, for some stalwarts that are still holding out. And then, of course, there's AI and ML technology, which is 
evolving so rapidly that if you don't adopt and adapt your business to it, uh, you're likely to be left behind and, uh, and have trouble catching back up again if you, if you wanted to. So these are the three major trends that I see right now affecting our business. Excellent. Yeah, that's great, Phil. Thank you so much uh, for those insights. And so um, maybe just as the final question uh, for Philip, you've got some big plans in the next few months. What can you tell, say, any potential clients that might be listening or types of skill sets that you might like to hire um, in the near future? And um, how could venture capitalists get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, for potential clients, if you have products to market online, we can help you dramatically increase the volume of high quality imagery that you need for social media while dramatically reducing costs. And uh, if you're a business owner, cutting costs and increasing outputs always what you think about. So, um, And then in regards to, to hiring, at the moment, we're looking to hire AI, ML engineers uh, and scientists and uh, full stack engineers. As we're seeking to, and we're seeking cap, as we're seeking capital to accelerate to a SaaS web-based platform and even further our AI development. So, um, and if you're interested in becoming a client, employee, or an investor, you can reach me at philip.lun at dpix.ai. Love it. Thank you so much. So yes, thank you, Deepix, uh, for joining us today on this podcast. You can find uh, Deepix online at deepix.ai or follow them on LinkedIn. And uh, to all of our loyal listeners, your time is very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, so bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have fun and gain valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to The Launch Podcast today? You can share the podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tandemlaunch.com, and get in touch today.